0: Is the fullness of God, of God because part of what the Lord wants for us this Christmas season is to not just focus in on the birth, and it is glorious and it's incomparable, but it's a part of a bigger picture that we've been talking about for the last couple of years of, as we've kind of walked through many books or the, the, the last two books of the Old Testament. God is, is, is wanting for us the same thing that Paul is wanting that the eyes of our heart, hearts would be enlightened in order to know the hope of his calling. And he wants us to know the immeasurable greatness of his power. Paul wants wants the church to know God as completely as they possibly can. Listen, this this is the thing that makes the difference, right? To know about God and to know God are two vastly different things. This is the difference between knowing God and, and knowing him as a person. This is the difference between a dead religion and an active relationship. This is the difference between sharing an idea and being part of an idea. I was sharing with someone the other day that um, I learned something growing up on, in the rodeo scene. If you didn't know that about me, um, from junior high through high school, um, I did um, high school rodeo but some other stuff in junior high, but I spent a couple of nights a week in a rope and pen, and I spent every weekend at a rodeo. And you figure something out. If you, raise your hand if you've ever been to a rodeo, first of all. Okay, good. Just about everybody. All right. Um, so there is an, ing- an a distinguishable difference between um, a cowboy and someone who is pretending to be a cowboy. Um, Aaron, uh, our elder that's not here anymore, this, is, this was not part of the sermon, just popped in my head and I have to share it with you because it's a funny story. He and his brother-in-law, Will, went to the Houston Rodeo, which is this massive rodeo, and while they, while they were there, they decided since everyone else had cowboy hats on, they would buy some cowboy hats. And so he and Will, uh, Travis, buy these cowboy hats and, and you know they're thinking they're looking sharp and they get in the elevator and these cute girls walk in and they're, you know, with their cowboy hats on and the girls are like, that's some nice new hats you guys have. Okay, And so what, they're, what they are, are saying is what I experienced growing up, that it's not about the equipment that you have. You can go buy a nice truck and a horse trailer and some nice horses to go in it. You can even know how to ride that horse and, and to do well in the rodeo, but that doesn't make you a cowboy, right? When I think of what it means to be a cowboy, it's much deeper than that. It's about character, right? It's about the way um, that, that person or uh, that man or that woman treats the animals that they're working with. You follow, you tracking with what I'm saying, that, that you can have all the, the right stuff and you can look the part. But if, if the way of life is not, if, if the character is not in you, it doesn't, you, you know, you're not a cowboy just, I, I say it this way all the time, is that if you had to advertise, you're not right? If you have to try to convince people that you are something, you probably aren't that thing because when you meet a real true cowboy for the first time, you can sense it. You know it. It's in the way they talk. It's in the way they hold their body. It's not, they're not trying to put on airs of being something. They just are who they are. So we also know, church, that this is absolutely true within a body that we call the church, right? We know that we can dress the right way, we can learn the lingo, um, and we can call ourselves a follower of Christ, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you know Christ. Now, I'm not being legalistic in saying that, that some people are better than others. What I'm saying is that it's easy to tell often, it's recognizable when someone has the Spirit in them. And when they don't. Leah, I love that the Lord has brought you to this theme of invitation today because I believe that's what Christmas is about. It's about us being invited into the family of God. It's this proclamation of the good news that this long awaited Messiah, the Savior of the world, has arrived. Paul is painfully aware because he was that guy. He was aware that you can have all the accolades, you can have all the training. You can know all the right words to say, you can be smarter than everyone else in the room. But that doesn't mean that you know God. Right? We know that we know the story of Paul that before he was Paul the apostle, he was Saul, who I I couldn't remember the, the scripture reference this morning, but he says, you know, if you want to stack yourself up against somebody who knew all the right things and the right words to say and all the right things to do, he's like, I was that guy, the Jew of all Jews. Paul knows what it feels like. To know all the things about God, but to have completely missed the point of why God was was working in the lives of his people. And so Paul writes this hymn or poem of who Christ is, and that's going to be our main text for today, but he writes this so that the church can have a more complete understanding of who the person of Christ was. He wants them to understand Jesus. He wants them to know him. And so let's read this passage together. This is our main text for today. It's Colossians 1, uh, verses 15 through 20. So Paul says this to the church. He says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, which is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might, have, might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Listen, as we celebrate Christmas by sharing with people the truth about who Jesus is, we do so by understanding through personal revelation from God, these three things, that Christ made all things, that Christ sustains all things, and that Christ completes all things. I want to remind you that we don't do the work of setting ourselves apart from others. You remember when we studied the book of Exodus, how God gave the Israelites the law to separate them. He wanted them to look different from all of the rest of the culture around them, right? He set them apart and that was part of the purpose of the law but we're not the ones that do that work. Christ is. God does that work of setting us apart by changing us into His likeness. If we're trying to do the work of setting ourselves apart, we've missed the point. By trying to do the work ourselves, we're actually making ourselves more like the thing that we don't want to be. If we're the ones that are drawing the lines of what is admirable, what is good, what is worthy, if we're the ones drawing those lines... We're making ourselves more like the world, not more like Jesus. The goal is not for people to look at me or to look at us and to be in awe, right, of how good we are, that we got our stuff together. The goal is that people would look at us and go, man, God must be incredible. Look at the guy he's using to accomplish this work, right? Have you guys ever, um, have you ever watched somebody that's a graffiti artist work? It's fascinating to me because a graffiti artist, like the way that kind of came about is they would find like old, half-used up cans of paint and they make something incredible out of it, right? A graffiti artist gets done and you're like, whoa, he did that with a can of spray paint? Like when I found out they used spray paint for that, I was just blown away because I've used spray paint before and my stuff did not look like that, right? There's drips and lines, it was not good. But they use these cheap, half-up-used cans of paint, and they make these amazing, amazing images. What I'm trying to say is, we're the cheap paint, right? Like, we're the half-used up, got forgotten somewhere, and somebody, God picks us up and is like, oh, hey, I'm going to use you for something, okay? That's, when we think about who we are as God's people, God sees us as perfect, but we all know that we're not, right? We know that there's sin in our lives, and it's not about what we can conjure up in and of ourselves, it's about what God can do through us. So let's, let's dig in today and see what Paul's trying to help us understand about the person of Christ, about how God's going to use these half-used-up half cans of paint in order to create a beautiful image. Okay, so the first point that we're going to make today is that Christ made all things, okay? And this comes out of those verse 15 and 16. Let's read those again, and we'll tear them apart a little bit. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by Him in heaven and on earth. The visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. I love this idea that Paul's communicating about Jesus making God visible, right? Because prior to to Jesus' birth, there was not an image for God. And I know that this has been a struggle for many Uh, in in believing who God is, is how do I believe in something that I can't see, something that's not tangible? We see this a lot, especially in the Old Testament. Israel struggled often with this idea. Do you remember when Moses went up on the mountain, he'd been gone for a long time, and everybody thought he died? What is the first thing they did? They created an idol. Why? Because they need something that's tangible. We need something that's tangible. And so God does that for us in the person of Jesus. Do you remember that God wouldn't let them create an idol? The, the whole point was that he wanted to, he knows us, right? And he knows that if we make something to represent God, that what ends, up, what ends up happening is our heart is drawn to the thing and not to God himself. And so he wouldn't allow his people to do that. But when Jesus shows up, when he's born, all of a sudden we have God in flesh standing here in front of us. The, the disciple Thomas made this famous with his need Remember to see and to touch the scars on Christ's hands. We as people need that tangible thing, right? And and Paul is trying to help the church to understand that that tangible thing that we all desire that's in us to have that tangible thing is Jesus. This is, for me, just another example of how God is providing what His people long for and He's providing it through Jesus, This this idea was especially important to churches in Gentile countries because all of these new believers, if they weren't Jewish, if they were from another place, like the church at Colossae, the the church in uh, Ephesus, the church in Corinth, most of the people in those churches weren't Jewish. And all of their cultures had these tangible items that were so important to their religious beliefs. And so Jesus, again, becomes that tangible thing. Not only is he God in flesh but he's also the creator of that flesh. This concept that we talked about last week in, in John chapter one is the same thing that Paul's talking about. He's communicating the same thing. He's saying that Jesus is not like us. Yes, he is, we are made in God's image and we are born of flesh and Jesus was born of flesh. It's that, that thing that you talk about in theology where you say that Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. But we're not like God because we're 100% man and 0% God, right? Right? Jesus didn't like us. He is God and He is our Creator. He was God and was with God from the very beginning. Not only was Jesus there, but but we are created through Him and for Him. This is an important concept in establishing um, that Jesus is part of the Godhead. The Creator is owns his creation right there's no other way around that idea that that if you create something that is your something right and so if we are created by jesus for him who do we belong to jesus right this idea is important not just for jewish people but for all people and it answers that question that everybody asks at some point of their life of why am i here why was i born what is my purpose right we all get to that place at some time. I, I thought about this this week, and I told Alex uh, this morning I was going to talk about him a little bit, but um, so he's, he's, he's been warned. Um, but there was a, an article that was written, I think it was, was it by KLB, Alex, that did the article? I don't know if you guys saw it, it was on Facebook. But uh, Alex, if you didn't know, is an incredible artist. Um, if you haven't read that article, go check it out. Um, it's really, really good. I bring this up because they asked Alex about his work, what's inspired him. Uh, why he chose the colors and the format and the styles that he chooses. And those are incredibly interesting, interesting things, not because every understand, everybody understands the how. Like when they ask Alex about his style and he explains it, to me that's not interesting because I understand what he's saying. Right? I don't know about art. Like I joke about like with, with Leah and David, I don't speak piano, so I, don't, I can't be in conversation about that. The same thing is true about, about artwork. But when you ask someone who creates things about their creations, you don't just get to know the how, but you get to know the why. Right? And I love that article because I was telling Alex, like as I read it, I'm, I've known Alex for years and I felt like I had a pretty good handle on who he is as a person. But through reading that article about his artwork and him answering those questions, I learned things about Alex that I didn't know. Whenever we... Whenever, or when Alex was in the article, he talks about um, some of the images that he's done and, and how those are reflected from his things that he experienced in his childhood, the things that he desires, his family, the things that he's passionate about. And I know Alex better this week than I did last week because I've got a deeper glimpse into who he is, okay? And this is what Paul is doing for us. In this hymn or this poem, verses 15 through 20, he's painting a picture for us, but he's using words. And he's saying, this is who the person of Christ is. And specifically, he is creator. This church gets a deeper glimpse. Our church gets a deeper glimpse into the person of Jesus. And because of that, they know Jesus in a way that they didn't know him before. And Paul doesn't stop here. He doesn't say that that, uh, not only is Jesus the firstborn and the creator, but he says that Christ also sustains all things. Look with me at verses 17 through 18. It says, he is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. Listen, these two verses hold um, significant meaning for us as God's creation. When we talk about creation, we typically think about the story that we see in the beginning of the Bible, which is in the book of Genesis, right? When God created the heavens and the earth and he created all the animals and he created us. However, new things are created every day. Children are born, animals are born, plants gain new life, light comes from the sun every day. God didn't create once and then just put it on autopilot and be like, I'll check on you on a couple of millennia. God creates every day he's actively creating and in doing so he is sustaining the earth if God stopped creating the earth would die if God stopped being God the sun would stop shining things would stop being born plants would stop growing the rain would stop falling it's because of God's continual work of creation that the earth continues to live think back on our study in Exodus about, you know, when you're thinking about his faithful creating, do you remember the story of when God is providing manna to the Israelites, right? They're out in the middle of the desert and they're complaining because they're hungry. And God, in the morning they get up and manna's all over the ground, right? And they gather up all they could eat and their bellies were full. And the next morning they wake up and there was more manna. That's what God is doing in his creative work every day. You and I have this idea that we get up and we go to work in the morning and we do a good day's work and we get paid for that and then we can buy groceries and that we are providing for our families and for ourselves. But if God had at any point stopped creating, we'd no longer be able to provide those things. Do you see what I'm saying? We're just like the Israelites. Even though we get up and we go to work every day, God's still the one that's putting the manna out in front of us because of his faithful creation. God uses us not only uh, or God uses us in that creative process in a variety of ways but we're when we get up and we go to work and we do the things we're supposed to do we're simply playing a role in God's sustaining activity on the earth. Jesus is the glue that binds all of creation together without him the world would crumble and it would fall apart. Not only is he holding us together physically but this passage says it's also spiritual. It says that he is the body, he is the church. Without his presence, the church would crumble. We see this happening all the time. We, we, because we're a church that plants churches, we are aware of when churches close their doors, right? The, the church plant in Colleen that started a couple of weeks ago, we were able to, we were given that building because a church ceased to exist there, right? Their building was still there, but the body is no longer there. If the church is not looking to the head for all leadership, it's going to cease to be the church. Now there are churches out there who are not looking to God to be the to the Godhead of their church, right? And we we've seen and we've probably a lot of us experienced those kind of churches. But if you were unaware, our church, myself specifically, is completely reliant on Christ to lead. Right? I'm not the captain of the ship. I'm just the guy with the hand on the rudder. Right? Everybody understand that? Let me give you an example. I want to give you just a glimpse into just, we'll just talk about the weekend. Let's just talk about the weekend. So Thursday, my parents are out of town. That's part of the story. And so when they leave, they, we live on a farm and we take care of their animals. So Thursday night, my dad has two show calves and he said, Will, while I'm gone, can you feed the calves? Not a problem, dad. So Thursday night, the boys had a soccer game. And so I get home a little early from work, but we're rushing, trying to get our chores done. And in the rush, I forgot to latch one of the gates to the show calves, Okay. Five o'clock Friday morning, Charlie comes into my room and wakes us up because the dogs are barking. And so I went and put her and Amy back to, get, back to bed and went to go back to bed myself. And I told Bethany when I got back in her room, I said, I, I have a feeling I need to go. Something's up. I got to go see what's going on. And so I, I live next door to my parents and about halfway from my house to theirs, one of my dad's uh, border collies, he raises them to herd his cattle, met me in the yard. And they're not supposed to be out because they chase the cows, right? And so I'm like, oh great, that's why they're barking one of the dogs is out. So I grab the dog by the collar and I take it back to the barn. As I'm going to the barn, I realize that the two show calves that I've been left responsible for are not there. And so Bethany and I's day began at 5 a.m. with traipsing through the woods with flashlights looking for cows. Um, That went on till about 8.30. I haven't told my dad that they're missing yet because... Uh, it's early, A, and B, they're on vacation, and I thought, if I can just find these cows and not tell him, then that's, I'll tell him after the fact, we can, you know, I don't want to mess up his trip, well, he calls me at 8 30 and says, hey, our neighbor just called, and the show calves are in his backyard, and I was like, great, I've been looking for them for several hours, <laughs> so Bethany and I go, and, and we catch the cows, and we, we, we had to herd them, because they're, the dog's been chasing them, all morning. And so they are freaked out and they do not want anything near them. And so we heard them about a quarter of a mile, a little over a quarter of a mile back to our house. And we get them back in the barn and we go, okay, that's done. Well, I've got, I have a full-time job. Most of you know that. Um, we have a training thing that's kind of a last minute deal that's happening Monday and I'm responsible for setting up the room and getting all the materials ready, all that stuff. So I already, like I told Bethany, we had come in, uh, to get a cup of coffee before the sun came up. And I told her, I said, look, um, I I don't have time for this today. (laughs) Like, I have so much to do. I already didn't have enough time in my work day, but I went to work and ran the marathon. I got home about 5 30. We had to deal with some stuff with the kids. I won't, they're in here, so I won't tell you what that was, but it took a long time. Um, And we still hadn't cooked supper yet, so we did all those things. We finally get, like, we just got done eating, and my brother-in-law, who's also out of town, calls me and says, hey, you still got your catching boots on? I said, No, but I can put them on. What do you got? And he said, well, we got a sheep out at our house. Can you go catch it? Yes. So Bethany and I load back up in the car and leave the kids to shut down the house. And we go catch the lamb. It wasn't a huge deal, but again, just another thing. (laughs) So we get that done. We come home, get the kids in the bed, and it's late, and we're tired. And I've got some studying to do. And Bethany gets a phone call, ends up being on the phone for over an hour, helping someone with something. And we finally get to the end of the day. And we lay down on the bed to go to sleep. And Bethany looks up at the ceiling and the sheetrock's wet and it's raining outside. Okay, God. So we put our clothes back on and I go get on the roof in the rain and put a new tarp on the roof because we had a tree on the house during the hurricane. Yeah, yeah, Long story short, we got to bed at 2 a.m., okay? Now, I still haven't written a sermon yet and it's 2 a.m. on Saturday morning and my day started at 5 a.m. on Friday morning. listen, I'm only here today because God is a sustainer, right? When I sat down Saturday morning, which by the way, my brain was fried still because we had to get up early because the girls had a cheerleading thing to do, okay? I, I'm, not, I'm not telling you this as like a pat on Will's back or a pat on Bethany's back. I'm telling you this because if it were up to me to make church happen, we would be in a really, really sorry place, Okay? It's not up to me. I'm not the one that's running this show. It's God. He's the one who's doing all of this. I I want you to see that today's message is only happening because God is faithful and he is the one that sustains us. He is the one who prepares the word for us. But God not only creates us and sustains us, but he also completes all things. And this is our last point for today. Christ creates us, He sustains us, but He also completes us. This is out of verse 19 and 20. It says, For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile everything to Himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on a cross. Listen, this first verse may not seem, or it may seem like I put it in the wrong group, but when you read it in the context of verse 20, it tells us something that for me is just beyond comparison. For me, this is why we've entitled this series, The Incomparable Christ. Listen, God, it says that God was pleased. What was he pleased with? He was pleased to fully dwell in Christ and through him to reconcile everything to himself. God was pleased to make peace through his blood shed on the cross. I don't know anybody else who would do that. Jesus humbled himself and suffered on our behalf and it was pleasing to him. Christ is beyond comparison because of this incredible love. It's through his birth which we are celebrating. It's through his life. It's through his death that Jesus is working to complete the work that he he began all the way back at creation. Do you see that? The birth of Jesus is not the end of one time. The beginning of another. It is part of a whole. It's a part of a work that God is still doing today. Paul shares the same message with the church in Corinth in Second Corinthians five nineteen. It says this: This is in, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and He was committed, uh, and he, had, he, excuse me, and He has um, committed the message of reconciliation. To us. He committed the message of reconciliation to us. God is reconciling us to himself by doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. Leah prayed about that this morning with the with the team before we came up here this morning. But Christmas is about the fact that Jesus is doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We cannot be perfect like God is perfect. We are made righteous. We are able to enter God's presence because of His work, not ours. God is completing the work that He began in His creation through the person of Jesus in our lives. And not only does He reconcile us and therefore bring us back to Himself, but He also gives us this message of reconciliation to share with others. I reference all the time Colossians 1.27, which comes just after this. And it's the same idea that Paul is sharing in that Corinthians passage we just read. Colossians 1.27 says, God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, when, when he, Paul is saying to the Corinthian church that God has given us this message of reconciliation, he's not saying he gave it to you just to own it. What he's communicating is that God gave us this message to share with other people. So God has created us, He sustained us, and he's completing his work through us. That's the story of Christmas, is that Christ came and he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And then he didn't just say, okay, congratulations, that work's done, I'll see you later. He brings us into that work together. I want to share one more story with you this morning because it helps kind of tie all this together. When I was growing up, my dad worked a lot. He was trying to provide for his family. Whether it was working at Petron or at home, my dad never stopped and nothing's changed. He's still that way. But he did something great for us, for me specifically. Instead of just working all the time by himself, he brought me to work with him. I cannot tell you the the countless hours that I spent riding on the fender of a Kubota tractor. Right? That was back in the day when you could get away with that kind of stuff. But there was a handle to help you get on the tractor. And I sat on it like this. That's probably why I ended up riding a horse so much. I was real good at holding on like this. My dad would, whatever the task was, whether it was for Petron, obviously if I was in school I didn't go to work with him. But especially on the weekends, if he had to work, he brought me with him. And he didn't just bring me along and, and use me as a gopher. Y'all know what a gopher is? Go for this and go for that. Right? I wasn't just a gopher. He, he let me help him. During every bit of that time, we were talking about the work that we were doing. And, and through that, I learned an incredible amount of things. My dad was teaching me all the stuff that he knew. Y'all heard the phrase, jack of all trades, master of none? I'm a jack. I know a lot about a lot of different things because my dad taught me all that stuff as he brought me along to help him. And I wasn't just holding the flashlight or, or handing the tools he had my brain engaged in what was going on. I'll never forget, I was probably Saley's age when I went to a job with my dad on the weekend. And we were working on an electric panel. It was a Petron job, and there was a crew there with us. And one of the guys stopped us at one point, and he said, John, you got to tell me what's going on with you and your son. And dad was like, what are you talking about? He's like, my dad was looking at the electric panel, And he would just reach his hand out like this, and I would put the tool in his hand. He'd never look at me never say a word. And he was working on this panel. And and he said, how does Will know what you need? And Dad said, because he's paying attention. My dad not only taught me how to do the work, he taught me how to focus. He taught me how to think about what's the next step. And so he didn't have to say, well, I need pliers. I knew he needed pliers because I was looking at what he was doing. I knew what the next step was. Listen, I share that story with you because that's how God relates to us. God didn't just reconcile us and then say, see you later. He's bringing us along to be a part of the work. And his goal for us is that we focus, that we pay attention to what he's saying, to what he's doing so that we can be aware of what's happening. You know, we talk a lot about what it means to abide in Christ and and people in churches all over the world talk about knowing the will of God. I'm going to share a a little uh, devotion that I read this morning that spoke specifically to this and I read it after I was done writing. But it's not hard to know the will of God. It's not hard because if we are walking with him, if we are living in an abiding relationship, God is working and he's showing us what he's doing. We know what needs to happen. We don't have to guess because we know how the father works. Are there going to be times where we don't know what's going on? Absolutely. But the more time we spend with him, the more we're going to know, the more we're going to understand. Listen, as we have the opportunity to talk about Christmas with people who don't know who Jesus is, we're going to be able to tell them things about, about Christ that we have learned by experience as we've walked with Him. We know God's will because we recognize it. We've, we, that, the, the passage that we started with this morning We know God by experience, and we've known that as we've walked with Him. We get new revelations of who God is. Our relationship with God, the work that we've joined Him in, is the basis of our knowledge. It is what we know how to share. We've learned by walking with God, by learning from Him, and then He is allowing us to join Him in that work. To not just be a bystander, but to be part of the process. Just like I, you know, I use personal stories all the time to help you guys understand what I feel like God is trying to say to the church. We look at the scripture and I try to break it down into some real world scenarios and that's what I've done today. God's going to do the same thing through you. If you're paying attention to what's going on in your life, you're going to see that your whole life you thought you were just fumbling around trying to get things done. And the more you learn about who Jesus is, the more you learn about his character, you're going to be able to look back on your life and go, oh, oh, I see what you did there. Like this weekend when I'm out in the woods at five o'clock in the morning looking for cows that didn't want to be found, my response was, God, I don't know what you're doing, but please tell me so I can get this done, right? God wants us to be a part of what He's doing, there's a, a country song that came to mind just now. That, and I don't remember all the lyrics. I think it was Trace Atkins, But one of the lines in the song is, she just thinks we're fishing. It's, a, you know, country songs are stories. And at the beginning of each verse, I think it is, he says, think, she thinks we're just fishing. And then he talks about all the stuff that they were doing while they were fishing. But the last line of the song is, this ain't about fishing. Church, that's the refrain for us. As we're learning about Christmas, as we're learning about who Jesus is, it's not just we have head knowledge. It's so that we can know personally who Jesus is, and we can share that with other people. There's always something that's going on deeper than what we see. Life with God is not one-dimensional, right? And and if you've walked with Him any amount of time, you know that by experience, that there's always something going on behind the background. God is using the church to help the world to see Him as as His creator and the sustainer and the completer. God uses Christmas, this time of celebrating the birth of Jesus, to tell the world about who He is. And church, God wants to use us to do that. And I know that may seem like a tired, wore-out message that I say over and over and over again, but I'm going to continue to say it as often as I see it. But God has taught us how to hear His voice and how to do what He says. And what that's going to look like for each of us is that we're going to be sharing the gospel with the people in our lives. Not because we made a checklist or we remembered all the right things to say. It's because we are just walking through our life, sharing with people what God's doing in ours. And the Holy Spirit's going to be the one leading that. We don't have to, we don't have to worry about it. You just be you and abide in God and that's enough. I wanted to close out today with this just because I love it when the Lord does this. I get done reading this this morning. I'm drinking a cup of coffee and I open up my devotionals just to spend some time just for me with the Lord. And this is one of the first ones that I read. It comes out, of it's Blackaby. And so you can go, it's not the whole thing, but you can go look it up later if you want to. But it, uh, Amos 3.7 is his reference. He says, indeed, the Lord God does nothing without revealing his counsel to his servants and his prophets. Everything that the Lord does is for our benefit. Everything the Lord does is, is, is for the purpose of revealing who he is to his people, and so everything that we should be about is about knowing the Lord and revealing to people who He is. Let's join God in the work that He has for us, His people. Let's pray together. God, I'm so thankful um, that you are our sustainer. I'm thankful that you've sustained me this weekend, Father. I'm thankful that that um, that you can use a weak person to do what you need done. God, it's my hope and my desire for each of us that we would, um, we would lean into you this Christmas season. Father, that we would uh, have opportunities to share the truth about who you are with the people that you've placed in our lives, with our loved ones, with our co-workers, with our friends, with our neighbors. And God, that it wouldn't feel forced, that it wouldn't feel um, like anything but just joyful. God, like uh, so many stories that we read in the New Testament where where people run to their friends and they say, let me tell you about this person that I just met. God, it's my my desire that you would place people in my life that need to know you, who haven't met you. Father, that you would use me, that you would use our church to invite those people to meet with you, to begin a relationship with you. God, help us to see you for who you are, but also help us to communicate who you are with the people that you've placed in our lives. Jesus, we love you so much. It's in your name we pray, amen.
1: So like, y'all know me, I wanna go home and like write it out and then post it on something so y'all can like hear it in the best way possible. But I just felt like from Will's sermon that I needed to share this story. Um, okay. So also I already can't breathe cause I'm pregnant. And so before I'm even nervous, I can't breathe. So I'll probably be like breathing into the mic. Also, I forget details cause pregnancy brain. So he may have to like, no, you're confused. Um, okay. So I think it was like a couple weeks ago. Um, I had gone to the eye doctor just because I've had like some vision issues since really since like last January, but it got worse around like a month ago Um, and so to the point where I was like I need to go like just check this out so I go to the regular eye doctor get a vision test Um, they get through the whole test and they get to the end and then he does one more thing and he's like uh and I'm like oh cool Um, he's like I need to do one more thing I'm like okay so he does this eye this other eye test Um, then he proceeds to get two other doctors that are there to come in and look at my eyes. So now I'm of course like totally freaked. Um, and basically I ended up having, uh, swelling of my optic nerve, which is caused by like swelling and like fluid around the brain. And so then of course they're like, um, kind of going back and forth and they're like, With me in the room. And they're like, uh, you know, saying things like tumor and like all like blood clots around the brain and like all these things that could be the cause of this swelling. Um, So they're basically, they set me up with a consultation with a neurologist uh, to get basically just checked out, make sure, um, you know, that it wasn't those things. So I went to the neurologist. was that before the elders thing? Okay. See, I'm I'm confused about the timeline. Uh, so, I went to the neurologist and he like confirmed everything that they had seen um, and ordered me like a bunch of tests, so like an MRI, an MRV, um, a few others. And so he's like, "Hey, we need to do these tests to make sure what what's causing the swelling." Um, and all all along that that way like one doctor one eye doctor that was like asked to confirm the diagnosis was like um like yeah that is the diagnosis but i would change it to severe not mild and then the the neurologist was like yeah like it's pretty severe so like everybody's using like scary words and um and so then yeah okay so <laughs> Maybe Jake should tell the story. Uh so I met the neurologist, he's he wants to prescribe me this medication but he's like um, when was your last pregnancy and I'm like current, you know, and uh, cuz I had like literally told every person I encountered that like I'm like, "Hey nurse, I'm pregnant." Hey, you know, everybody, I'm pregnant. <laughs> you know, cuz I'm like, I know I know there's like tests and stuff and so I wanted everybody to know. But apparently it didn't get to him yet. Um, And so he's like, oh, you know, so he's like, we need to think about changing all these things that you're supposed to have done. And I'm like, yeah, okay. You know, and so he's like, there's this like spinal tap I'm supposed to have done, but it has an x-ray component. So they're like, we really don't want to do that when you're pregnant, but it's like part of the thing. Um, And then this medicine that he wanted me to take for the swelling in my eyes um, he's like, it's not pregnancy safe. So essentially you're it's like, you're basically having to decide, like, are you going to take this medicine that's not pregnancy safe or not, you know, and, and these other tests that are not necessarily safe for pregnancy. And I said, uh, can I just wait? <laughs> like, you know, I'm supposed to have the baby in three months. Can I just do all these things then? And he's like, no, because of like, the severity of what they had seen and he was like I've seen patients lose their vision in that amount of time from this condition so basically in my mind it was like well I, I mean I don't know basically they're, they're the choice they're giving me is like risk your baby or risk your eyes which for me was like eyes duh but you know um anyways we felt in between that that um, we needed to ask the elders for, like, healing, um, to pray over healing, sorry, pray for healing um, for us. And I had gotten, like, a lot of really cool things from the Lord about um, verses about, like, blindness, um, how God heals the blind, and how, uh, like, several things about not being blind. One of them was literally, like, I will not leave you to, uh, like, like, to wander like the blind, like, essentially, you will not be blind, um, and several of the, like, elders had gotten words about that for me as well, um, Jake had gotten some stuff about, like, light and darkness, that's a kind of a recurring theme ever since all this eye stuff is happening, like, that you would come out of darkness and into light, you know, all this stuff, so God's just, like, talking about sustaining, that's why I knew I needed just to, share this today because, uh, the sustaining and the completing thing, it's like, I was right there with you. I'm like, man, no way I would have (laughs) been sustained through all of this, you know, without him. And so just that, like those specific words were like a huge comfort for me. Um, the elders did like pray, uh, for healing for me. Um, and then like, I didn't wake up with no vision problems or anything like that, you know, but, uh, so I was kind of like, oh, we'll see what happens, <laughs> you know. Um, and then, what's the next? Then I had the MRI um, and the MRV, and so uh, had those those done, but I didn't get the results back from them yet. Um, and then went to see my high risk pregnancy doctor, and um, she's amazing and very like knowledgeable about literally anything that you could have, because she sees everybody who has high-risk pregnancy, Um, and so I went to see her, and she was like, yeah, they're freaking out about this medication, but you can take it, and so I'm like, okay, you know, like, great, and so, um, but she was like, but don't do the spinal tap, and I'm like, okay, you know, and so then I have another appointment with the neurologist to get my MRI results. um, And they say, hey, your MRI is clear. And uh, not only that, we don't want to do the spinal tap because it's like risky for pregnancy. So they're like, we're going to put that off. So it's like the other thing my doctor told me not to do. They also were like, we don't want to do that. Um, They wanted to start me on the medicine, which she had just said. Was fine. I feel like there's something else. Oh, yeah. So, my MRI was like not only clear, but like there is something that's usually present with this condition in the MRIs that tells them like how severe it is. And based on like the swelling of my eye, they were expecting it to be severe. Well, based on the MRI, they were like, you're lacking this thing. It was like a sack or something. I don't know. I don't know technical terms, obviously, but it was like, there's usually this thing on the MRIs of people who have this, you don't have that, so we're bumping it down from a severe to mild, and so I'm taking now, like, the lowest dosage of that medicine, they don't want to do the spinal tap until after pregnancy, it's basically, like, the best case scenario, also, the MRI was clear, which is, like, obviously a huge concern, was that it would be, like, blood clots or you know, a tumor or something like that. Um, So that's the completion part that God also does. Um, Also just, this is, I know, backwards to like part one, which was makes all things, but like from the beginning of this pregnancy, which if you guys know our situation, know like we weren't sure if that was going to happen. So it's a miracle anyway. But since the beginning of the pregnancy, God has given us like so many words that he was going to protect the baby. Um, And we named the baby cypress based on a verse that was basically like talking about ground that used to be um, thorns. I'm not going to be able to get through this part, probably. Basically, uh, ground that wasn't fertile is fertile now. And that basically like the cypress tree grows big and strong. There's like references in scripture of like cypress Um, wood being used for like these cool things like temples and all that stuff so basically like the word that we were like you know claiming over our son was just like that he would grow big and strong you know Um, and that God would protect him and so that was another thing like when all this came up I always knew like he was going to be fine I just didn't know like what that meant for my eyes or what any of it meant, but I knew it was going to be okay, because I knew, like, God made Cyprus, and God had intentions, you know, for that, and he sustains the life, and he completes it, and so, um, yeah, I don't know if I'm missing something, but basically, I don't know, just this week was finally the, like, end, the period at the end of that sentence of, like, what's going on with my brain slash eyes, and so, man, God's just been like so good to give us like words and people from other people and from ourselves, like just words to sustain us through all of that. And now we're like able to see kind of the like completion of that. So that's it.